Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Rabbi Shalom Rosner, Karen Biavna, he was with us recently. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Wednesday morning, 59 degrees, partly cloudy, and a high of 79. We're at 67 in Yushalayim, 59 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, I've used the expression... Um, we know each other longer than either of us care to admit many, many times over the last few weeks. I mean, by coincidence, we've had a lot of guests over the last few weeks that um, I happen to know for quite a while. Uh, with this morning's guest, and I'm so happy and honored that he's joining us with this morning's guest, uh, I don't think it's a, an exaggeration at all. <laughs> we know each other longer than I think either of us care to admit. He is a uh, a Ram, which I guess loosely translated, we would say, is a senior Rebbe and many other things uh, at Yeshivat Karim Biavne. And he is also a well-known rabbi for many other capacities as well, which I'm sure we'll touch on. And that is the amazing Rabbi Shalom Rosner, who was with us live via telephone. I do remind you that the 50th annual New York dinner for Karim Biavne is happening this coming Monday. On October the 25th at Marina Del Rey in the Bronx. And it is going to be a very, very special evening. Rabbi Shalom Rosner, what a delight to welcome you to JM in the AM. Malcolm, it's amazing to be with you, to reconnect, and it's a really a good to be with you and all your listeners. Much appreciate that. Um, Rabbi Rosner, I think, especially for the listeners who may not be familiar with the yeshiva, there are some. Uh, I think you have to do some history with me for a moment because Karen Biavna, which is an amazing institution, and I know that firsthand, and my other family members know that firsthand, um, has a uniqueness to it. Today, we are so used to schools and yeshivot in Israel that are open to academia and at the same time, army service. But before Karen Biavna, that did not exist. What can you tell us about the early days of the yeshiva? In the 1950s, Rav Goldvicht, uh, the first uh, Rosh Yeshiva, he had a vision. And uh, the vision was that for the uh, certain population in, uh, in the state of Israel's uh, nation stage, the beginnings, there were those that were dedicated to Talmud Torah and wanted to spend serious years in terms of learning, in terms of serious learning, traditional based medrash atmosphere. But as well, they wanted to serve the country. They wanted to be able to uh, fulfill the the prophecies to take the privilege to defend Am Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael for the first time in 2,000 years. And Karim Biyavna, which is called on all the stationaries, Aim Yeshivota Hezder. Right. Now there are, there are 60, 70 even uh, Hezder Yeshivot, which combine a five-year program of army service and learning Torah. So this was the first. It was his vision. And uh, so many of our of our families, of the of the, those that we know, you know, spend their time dedicated both uh, in Torah and in and in uh, army service, which the Gemara even says calls it Safra the Saifa, the book and the sword, right. and that's uh, continued uh, until this very day. And and I want to and I want uh, to point yeah. out. I apologize for interrupting, but I want to point out that especially for those not familiar with the history of the yeshiva, and for those whom you know the term Hezder, they're just becoming familiar with. Rav Goldvicht of blessed memory was a was a serious he he looked he acted and in fact was a serious Torah scholar. We're talking about somebody in the tradition of our great rabbinic leaders who understood the need that was out there and the potential 
uh, to open up a, a yeshiva and to include under the umbrella of the yeshiva a vast number of students that, as you just described, wanted to combine uh, these two important elements. And there's no uh, greater tribute than what you just said, that 60 or 70 of these types of yeshivas now exist, but I would assume all of them, Rabbi Rosner, acknowledge the role of Karen Biavna as being the trailblazer. Yeah, it is. It is still one. Of, it's known as the founder. It is. It continues to be one of the leading yeshivot, both in uh, in terms of the Israeli program, and now uh, many of the Hezri yeshivot have uh, you know overseas programs, which gives the overseas students the opportunity to be able to partake of the of the fire of the base medrash, the fire of the learning Torah, alongside um, you know their the Israelis from um, that happen to live there right now and uh, join together in learning. Um, there are programs. We have six uh, B'nai Chutzvarets, overseas students that are in the Army right now that wow. chose themselves to, jo- to join, and it's one that we're very proud of, and we get much nachas from. Wow, I can only imagine. Look, it's a unique situation. I remember from my own experience. I mean, it's, it's a life, even if you don't go to the Army, and, and of course I didn't. If I did, everybody would know about it. But <laughs> even if you don't go to the Army, the, the, the relationships that you form uh, with Israeli young men who are in fact going to the army and groups of young men who are being sent off often in the middle of the semester of learning. It depends, you know, it depends on the schedule, the army schedule, the yeshiva schedule, the agreement that they come to, etc. cetera. Uh, just that whole experience of being in that environment is so unique. I mean, in the old days, you know, people would say, you know, if you're going to go to Israel already, go to an Israeli yeshiva, go to one where your roommates, you know, many of them will be Israeli, where your chavruta will be Israeli, etc. And I'm not at all condemning those yeshivot that today, uh, you know, are only accepting those from Chutz Laaretz. I understand that there's a need and a, a need to be filled for everybody. But there is a uniqueness, and I'm sure you see this every day, of watching Chutznikim, boys from the diaspora, interact with their Israeli brethren. Yeah, the Rashi yeshiva, the Rav Saraf or Freeman, both are, are very emphatic about it's one yeshiva. It's not an Israeli yeshiva with a, with a Chutz Laaretz program. Right. It's one yeshiva. They specifically, the mashkiach sits the students, the talmidim, on every table. There's two B'nai Eretz Yisrael, there's two B'nai Chutz Laaretz, interactive. Uh, every Tuesday there's a Shir Klali, which the, the, the talmidim go to, and it's Hebrew. It's, uh, it's really, it feels, like, it feels like one yeshiva, and that's yeah. really what... Um, what is one of the tremendous values that someone coming from Klutzlar, someone from America, England, uh, South Africa, feel. Because I know, like, I see it in my own children. There's a certain level of achrayas, of responsibility to the nation that one feels when you grow up in Israel. And it's and my, 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 my own children and my students, and they, they can't even fathom what does it mean that you're not going to give some time in your early life, in your strong years, to, to the country and to the nation. Yeah. Learning obviously is amazing and wonderful, and we have to. But yeah. but it's such it's it's important, and just having in the being in the same base medrash and and learning uh, alongside, and knowing that most of your um, friends from the Israeli program from the Israeli side are t- sometime during Shana Bed or to the end of Shana Bed are gonna are gonna go into the army. That makes a tremendous impression on even those, as you said, uh, that aren't don't choose that path. But it's a really a learning and maturing experience. Right? Yeah. Look, it's many years later for me, and I can tell you how much of a life-changing experience it was. Everybody out there, um, you'll be inspired if you come to the dinner. That I can guarantee you. Not only because Rabbi Rosner and Rabbi Friedman are going to be speaking, uh, but in addition to that, it is uh, it is really a it, it's the trailblazer. Karen Biavna is the leader 
uh, even all these decades later when it comes to um, this unique combination of uh, encouraging Torah study and encouraging uh, defense of uh, the state and nation of Israel. The 50th annual New York dinner is this coming Monday. It's at Marina Del Rey in the Bronx. There is a Safer Torah project. They'll commence writing a Safer Torah, which will be dedicated in honor of Karen Biavna's 70th anniversary. So you can imagine that Monday night will be a celebration as well, not just a regular dinner. And there's a special tribute to the resilience of Yeshiva at Karen Biavna entitled, In Difficult Times, We Never Stop Learning. Now, Rabbi Rosner, I, I, I assume that's an allusion, or, or it's alluding to, um, not an allusion, I assume that's alluding to, um, to covid that you know, even during this very sensitive time, the yeshiva did everything in its power to remain open. But but I would also assume, and I have to extend it to so many times in the history of yeshivat Karen Biavne, where tragedy struck the yeshiva, where boys who attended the yeshiva um, unfortunately were either um, uh, killed or injured uh, defending the Jewish people, and uh, you can imagine how sensitive uh, uh, those periods of time were. And yet there is a resilience that everybody continues to study Torah and move forward. Can I assume that both those situations are covered by this theme? Yeah, the, uh, the dinner in lieu of, a, of an honoree, the, the board and the Rashi Shiva felt that this year, the honoree, so to speak, should be Torah. Torah in all circumstances. Right. Just as, as you said, on, on many different levels over the past year and a half, you know, there's been challenges. But I could tell you, when a year and a half ago, that, that Adar, when, when many felt that they should go to their biological home, so to speak, and, and went away, Karen Biavina kept its doors open. There were students. I had over 35 students in the yeshiva did not leave the yeshiva for seven months. Wow. They stayed. The yeshiva stayed in, open the entire Pesach, Benazmanim, through the summer. They said, why should we go home? They were here. The yeshiva fed them, and they kept learning. The Corona is one challenge. Last year, you remember one of the one of the uh, call it a war uh, with the, with the rocket shooting from from Gaza. Right. And what happened? There were some alarms going off in Yavna. So what did we do? We just switched the base measures to the McQuat, to the to the safe room, and we kept learning. And we had shear there, and we had uh, we uh, tried to keep the focus. Again, more challenging, but we kept it going. Um, you know, one of my Talmudim this week called me. One of the Chayelim uh, Bodedim from. Uh, that's uh, from Queens, and he's in the Army now. So you show me a picture of him. He shows that the Army uniforms have, have big pockets on the pants. He could fit one or two little sperm in there. <laughs> so, like, even, <laughs> e- even out on the, on the, in the field, whether it's corona, whether it's rockets, whether it's Army service, Torah doesn't stop. And we try to give that message to the Talmudim while they're in the yeshiva. After they leave the yeshiva, thank God, throughout North America today, there are, there are leaders from, from Karen Biavna that they're lawyers, they're doctors, wherever they might be, but they always have a safer with them because Torah is really a part of their lives. And, you know, that's, that's the, the, the greatest uh, nachas that a yeshiva could have is to keep the connection with the rebbeim after the time physically in the yeshiva and to produce the, the leaders for the next generation. Well, then I'm right that the Monday night's a, cel- a real celebration of Torah and that's manifested in, you know, physically by the commencement of the writing of a safer Torah. So it's not just the theme of the evening, it's also the actual celebration of the evening, which really is amazing, and uh, I'm sure people will be very inspired by it, and I hope that everybody out there goes to the website, kby.org, kby.org. The site I'm on right now specifically is kby.org slash English slash dinner. Uh, but if you just Google it, it's easy to find, and we encourage people to sponsor the dinner, 
to give donations. It's all there. The link is right there on the invitation. In addition to that, consider coming to the dinner and participating um, in, in what will be an amazing Torah celebration. Uh, not that numbers matter, but out of curiosity, I am an alum, so I am curious. Uh, I know that you know the Anglo-Jewish community around the world, Australia, South Africa, England, etc., is well represented, but how how is the American scene? Are there a lot of North American students this year at Karim Yavne? Uh, Baruch Hashem. There's, I mean, over the um, the whole yeshiva is a 300 Talmidim. We have about 80, 80 B'nai Chutzlarets, oh, wow. uh, mostly, from North, uh, mostly from North America, but we have um, from England, from South Africa, from Australia. I have two boys in my shear, one from Paris, one from Antwerp. Wow. Uh, so it's really, uh, really tremendous how Torah there at Israel, the Torah is like a magnet. And uh, it brings together, you know, students from all over, and we try to give them a love of Torah, a love of Eretz Yisrael. You know, there's over a thousand Karen graduates from B'nai Chutzlaret that have made Aliyah over the past 70 years. Amazing. And it's uh, really uh, tremendous to, to have get-togethers here and see how many of the, how the values of uh, love of Medinat Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael have, have inculcated and, and shaped the lives of the, of the alumni. Does the uh, campus look similar to what I remember? I think so. I think uh, <laughs> the, the obviously been imp- each of the buildings have been improved. I think the dormitories have been uh, scaled up. You know, I haven't gotten any complaints from the <laughs> from the students. You no, know, the air conditionings are working and the food is good. So uh, I think that as we try, you mean came off in Torah. So we we try to physically. You know, many, many night programs have, you know, you have to make sure to have good nash and shalant and kugel. Yeah, trust, and, uh, trust, you know, when, trust, when available. Me, trust me, the question was somewhat tongue-in-cheek because I'd like to sit down with the current students and let them know what it was like 40 years ago, frankly. <laughs> yes, yes. I think, <laughs> but, uh, but I I do, think that is true. We have to count our blessings <laughs> in, on many levels. But I do know that this campus looks glorious. I've seen plenty of pictures. And, yes, very different, but uh, uh, certainly uh, very 2021. And who doesn't want that? Uh, th- this generation expects it, and frankly, as you just said, if we're doing it uh, to make sure they're comfortable in an environment of Torah, then uh, why not? Um, uh, uh, it's uh, it's certainly appropriate. Um, and and with that in mind, by the way, Rabbi Rosner, speaking of uh, my era, we should point out that the menu Monday night at Marina del Rey will not be the menu from Karambiavna forty years ago. It will be. It will be. No, a, I do not think so. I think Marina del Rey has a reputation to uphold, and uh, I think uh, it will also make sure that people go away. Uh, you know, full of gashmias and ruchnias. <laughs> no question about it. How's your synagogue doing in Israel? Uh, thank God, thank God. It's really wonderful uh, in Beit Shemesh, Kilan Ofea Shemesh. Um, you know, there's been an uptick. You know, one of the positives of COVID, I guess you could say, is an uptick in Aliyah. Right. We've had a number of uh, families come. They're, they're hopefully within the next year going to be building in, uh, in our community also. But really, uh, Eretz Israel, Israel is the place to be. And uh, it's a really amazing, amazing uh, group of people here in Beit Shemesh. Again, every community in Israel is wonderful. Just come. Wherever you go, whichever community is for you. But uh, I happen to be a Beit Shemesh, and uh, we love it. And it's uh, really tremendous, uh, a tremendous chus to be to be here. And we should... But again, I remember my beginnings many decades ago. My my junior counselors from many decades ago, which Nachum was one. It's uh, really helped shape me and uh, had a tremendous effect on me in my younger years. Trust me, if I get credit for point oh 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 one of what you've accomplished, that I am very very proud. But to say that I'm proud of you is it. Absolute understatement. We should also mention, by the way, speaking of camp, 
your association with Camp Cayley, which is uh, well noted. And of course, your unbelievable trailblazing efforts uh, online and in person when it comes to Dafyomi. Y- you must be astounded, not not just, I mean, I don't want to embarrass you here, but not, not just the growth of the Dafyomi reaction to what you're doing, but in general, the number of people uh, of all backgrounds in our community who are immersed in the study of Talmud on a daily basis at all different levels. It must be so gratifying for you. It's it's really amazing. I, I thank Akadosh Baruch so much that I can have a little... I'm a little clear. I try to bring it out, but there are so many tools out there. People are so thirsty. Uh, Since of Mayor Shapiro, whose yard site was last week, you know, came up with this amazing idea of connecting. I like to think that the Gemara has in Masechus Brachos that Chazal instituted that we lane, everybody should read the same Parsha. Right. He connected Jews through Torah Shebechsav. Mayor Shapiro connects Jews through Torah Shebalpeh, through the oral law. Yeah. He created a way where you have Jews on opposite sides of the world, and they're, they're learning the same thing, but people are just thirsty. The Torah speaks for itself, as long as it's presented in a, in a way that talks to them. But right now, that we have, we have Shi'urim, um, many, whatever type of Shi'ur one wants and whatever language one wants, just the Torah speaks for itself, and that's really what we're celebrating, and that's what's uh, tremendous about our generation, just the quantity of people learning Torah today uh, with using technology for the best purposes that it could be used for is really a tremendous nachas, and we have to just keep finding ways to, to spread God's, uh, God's Torah and uh, keep inspiring people. You know, it's funny because his... You, you know, the, his recognition or the recognition of his accomplishment is, is almost becoming cliche that that's how uh, that, that's how, you know, what's happened over all these decades of Dafyomi. But you just described the, the true magnitude of his accomplishment. You know, it's a, it, for those who think that it's a, a trivial point. It's not. It's something that has changed Jewish history and certainly the history of Torah learning uh, for God knows how long. Who knows how, I mean, how many centuries this will continue. So. I think you really, with the comparison to the Torah Shabbat and our efforts to be on the same page, so to speak, <laughs> when it comes to the written law, uh, I think the comparison to the same thing that he did for the oral law is an absolutely appropriate one. Uh, look, I can't convince or encourage people enough. Uh, Karen Biavne is an amazing institution. If you're not familiar with it, become familiar with it. Um, for all the reasons that I mentioned with her by Rosner. Um, the 50th annual New York dinner is Monday. It's this coming Monday. Uh, go to the website, show some support, certainly make a reservation. The menu, I can guarantee you, because I know the folks at Marina very well. <laughs> I actually got married at Marina uh, 32 years ago, the sixth, the 9th of Mar Cheshvan. So I know it very well, and the food's only improved, and it was great back then. Uh, but seriously, you'll have a great time, and you'll join a Torah celebration and learn History of a yeshiva that continues to be a uh, trailblazer even today. KBY.org slash English slash dinner. KBY.org slash English English slash dinner. Rabbi Rosner, not putting you on the spot just in case as a public service it's happening. If this is a quick 24-hour trip for you, that's fine. But will there be any, I don't know, alumni shiurim or Shabbos here? Any plans? Or is this going to be... Uh, just coming in for the there war. Are, I'm, I'm flying in tonight. I think uh, ten or eleven shiurim over the next five days. Oh wow! So um, hopefully there's I'll uh, be in uh, around the tri-state area. Young Israel Lawrence Cedarhurst tomorrow night. I'll be in Pisaic for Shabbos and a couple of different shuls. Sunday morning in Englewood. Sunday night in West Hempstead, and uh, Monday nights for dinner. So uh, that's most of it. I might have lost left out a few, <laughs> but uh, we hope. I hope to see 
Hamidim of the Yeshiva, Bogrim of the Yeshiva, and just listeners of uh, the Shiram online. I'd love to, uh, to see people and uh, put a face to many of the uh, questions and emails and WhatsApps and uh, just to, to say hello and connect in a physical way. You bring back amazing memories for me. Tremendous pride having you on and tremendous pride for all your accomplishments. Enjoy Monday night and continued Hatzlacha with Karen Biavna and all the other things you do. Thank you so much, Nachum, and you continue your special and unique Avodah HaKodesh for many, many years in good health. Amen. Amen. Much appreciated. Rabbi Shalom Rosner, everybody. Karen Biavne, those of you who are familiar with it, know that uh, I have been accurate during this conversation about how great an institution it is. Those of you not familiar, get familiar. Get familiar. Uh, we like to uh, encourage people to connect with, with, with unique Israeli institutions. And in a very important area of Jewish life, Karen Biavne is the trailblazer. Uh, the, the dinner is Monday night, uh, Marina Del Rey, uh, up in the Bronx. Uh, Rabbi Rosner will speak, Rabbi Friedman will speak, the Safer Torah Project will commence and it will be truly a Torah celebration, which uh, we need. We need more and more celebrations now coming out of, hopefully coming out of this crazy last uh, year and a half. So um, place your reservation and enjoy. KBY.org slash English slash dinner. But again, if you just go to KBY.org, the info will pop up almost instantaneously. It's Wednesday, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. That was my conversation with Rabbi Shalom Rosner. Suri Klugman is Director of Admissions at the Lander College for Women. We had an opportunity to speak about their open house and, in general, what's happening at Lander. Suri Klugman, a recent guest on JM and the AM. Here she is on JM Rewind on the NachumSingle Network. Thursday morning, JM and the AM. Well, many of you are familiar with the fact that we have been great advocates for the uh, work that Turo College is doing, uh, Turo and Lander and their affiliates and associates. In fact, I'm going to wish a mazel tov to Chava Siegel, who it seems, although I don't think she has the official word yet, but it does seem that she is now a, uh, a full-fledged nurse based on the uh, exams that she took this week. So we're going to wish her a mazel tov, and she would give all the credit in the world to, um, uh, to Turo and their nursing program. So, hey, if she would, then I certainly should. <laughs> uh, but with that in mind, and with the uh, with the slogan that I have created in mind of real classes, real courses, real degrees, and then last week, you may recall, I added real jobs. With all that in mind, I invite everybody to explore the uh, Lander College's open houses. Uh, the Lander College for Women Open House is going to be this Sunday, starting at 1.30 on West 60th Street in New York City. You can go to the Turo website. Uh, that is, um, let me give you the right address. That is LCW, Lander College for Women, lcw.turo.edu. lcw.turo.edu, and you can register there on the site. Um, and you know what we've been saying? The greatest uh, competition that Turo has right now is... Uh, those programs that are being offered that are not real classes, real courses, and real degrees. And everybody in our community, from the young people who actually go to college to the older people who are the parents of those who go to college, have to seriously consider what type of education you want and explore what Turo and Lander College has to offer. With all that in mind, Suri, Klug Suri Klugman is with us live via telephone, Director of Admissions at the Turo Lander College for Women, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. It's a real honor to be here in Mazel Tov and Chavez. 
BSN. Isn't that great? And Rabbi Kripka said to me, now you really should interview her. And I and I tossed the idea by her, and I think we're going to do that soon. So Baruch Hashem, she's uh, a great advocate for uh, what you guys are doing in the nursing sector, uh, certainly. Um, well, I don't know if you heard about this yet, uh, but uh, I've created a slogan, real classes, real courses, real degrees, real jobs. I don't think people in our community, both young and old, and we'll, we'll get to the open houses, but just address this with me. I don't think they realize the difference out there uh, in the long run when you've had a real educational background as opposed to some of the shortcuts that are going on, especially in our community today. I, I know that you're representing Turo. You can't help but agree with me, but I think you understand exactly what I mean, right? Not only do I understand it, I'm also a mom of, of a large family, and it's very tempting to take a shortcut, but once your child is out on their own and they're lacking the skills and they're lacking the interpersonal relationships and the internships to really get a good job, yep. to really flourish, that's when you have the regrets that you push them through a really quick program. Part of the problem with the really quick programs can be that you end up with a degree that's missing prerequisites. So you're actually paying for college twice. And the second time around, you're paying full price because there's no financial aid because the student already has a quickie bachelor. You know, so it's, it's really yeah. a tough road. You know, it's funny because I, I bring this up now almost every time we discuss um, uh, college programming with anybody uh, from Turo on the air. And what you just said, I had forgotten. In other words, yeah, it's not just the course of study and it's not just the skills and prerequisites, but the networking, the network when a young person gets into a system that's effective in giving great degrees, in getting great jobs, you're, you're missing a major piece if you don't take advantage of that. So you've added to uh, what I've already said, and that's why the fourth piece to my um, slogan, in fact, is real jobs, and people uh, out there need to consider that. Um, by the I way, the lander, no, go ahead, if please. I may, the Lander Colleges, we pride ourselves in our career services, right. in our internships, in our hands-on approach where professors know their students because we have small classes. And we have a tremendous success rate at placing students into jobs. And with two career fairs, if you want to change midstream or your life has changed and circumstances have changed, you can come back home to Turo and we'll help you. Yeah. And you don't get that in a quick program. Yeah, it is a good support system, that's for sure. Um, I, I got to ask you a question because <laughs> I always wonder about this and I always laugh. I, I, the, the example I always give is when Roy Reinrib was on the air to discuss, um, uh, to discuss his Kiddus book. I said to him, it must have been awful spending the entire year concentrating on Kiddus. <laughs> now, now, this example can only be taken to a certain degree, but it must be funny that as we are starting a new semester and a new year in, in any college system, people like yourself already so focused on next year as much as as much as everybody at Turo is concerned about and dealing with and helping those who are you know currently in college your head I assume as director of admissions is, is with those who aren't even ready to, to enter college yet yes and no yes because we always have to look forward um, our high school students of today are our professionals of tomorrow right so that's really our job is to go out there and make sure that we have an informed community that's really getting the value of a real professional 
academic education. But I also have a responsibility to the current student. And part of that is to make sure that they've transferred in all their credits that we accept, that we've gotten, that they have that streamlined um, event in their life, that college is not a frustration, but a real experience. I never and even, that's part of what we offer. I, I never even thought of that, that you're still holding their hand even when they're already officially in school and already in classes. It's a good point. Well, not just me. There's a huge yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you know what I'm I the you, one. Right. <laughs> you know what I meant. But I built the relationship because I start the relationship with the high school and the family right. and the student. I've got to make sure that the handoff is seamless. Phenomenal. I love that. Uh, Lander College for Women Open House will offer an opportunity to meet the dean and current students and department chairs and the administration to learn about academic tracks and majors, including internships, leadership opportunities, and Israel option, campus and residence life, financial information, scholarships, etc. There is a lot that's going to be unpacked and that's going to be revealed when you get to the open house this coming Sunday. It's Lander College for Women, so it's lcw.turo.edu slash open house. You could register there, lcw.turo.edu slash open house. And it starts at 1.30 on the campus on West 60th Street in Manhattan this coming Sunday. With us live via telephone is Suri Klugman, who's Director of Admissions at Turo's Lander College for Women. All right, so we, we should we should speak about those two points for a moment that I just mentioned. I mean, it is pretty, I mean, and, and again, people have to get used to this coming out of COVID, uh, but it is um, a, a unique opportunity uh, you have your dean available. You have other students available. You have every department chair available. I mean, just to show up on Sunday, that, that whole network we just talked about really begins this coming Sunday. Yes, yes. And we will be COVID responsible. We do have a daily health screening. Right. People will be wearing masks. But there's nothing like being in person. And having been the first school to go online after, when the pandemic first started, we're so excited to be back in the classroom. That is an understatement. <laughs> that is an understatement. And to have an open house where you can actually, you know, mingle and, and discuss and, and have people interact with others and get information that they need. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like get, get handed that packet directly from somebody and getting into a conversation discussion directly with somebody. All right, we should go through some of the points, um, uh, uh, Suri. Uh, there's been a um, – some of the things you've described already have has covered this, but we have focused on the fact that you're always focused – on the student, and th- and and therefore, that's one of the reasons why people you know leave Turo and are really happy with the experience because they feel like everything that the administration, uh, that the uh, that professors uh, and the people at Turo have done has been focused on the student. How do you go ahead as an institution and a large one, one that's you know celebrating its fiftieth? How do you go ahead and stay focused on individual students when it's one really big operation? I think it's because of the amazing deans in our programs. I mean. Dean Stolzloiki makes sure that this is what it's all about. We want our students to become Jewish community leaders. We want them to excel in their fields. So we're dealing with small classes, professors who are involved not just with their subject, but as well professionally with their jobs. We have the internship programs and advisors that are always available. Students know they can drop in at my office at any time. I'm very good. I answer email at 4 o'clock in the morning (laughs) because we want them to know that we're there for them. We want them to walk out with confidence. We want them to walk out with a toolbox of academic tools that lets them shine in our world. And that's really what it's about. 
And there's an item here that I have uh, called uh, th- uh, on the list of uh, things I wanted to discuss this morning called flexibility. And it's funny, when I was listing earlier Israel options, campus and residence life, internships, there is a tremendous amount of flexibility that you have. And, and e- you know, usually when it comes to the finances, we always say to the students and to the parents, don't assume you can't afford this. Ask and go through the process, and you'll see that there are options to consider. I think it extends itself to all the other areas. Israel, people want a, want a different type of residential or campus life. People want different leadership opportunities. Ask, because the chances are Turo's either done it already or will be ready to implement it for you. Yeah, our flexibility includes some majors that can be made done fully online. Right. We do have Turo College in Israel, which allows students to start their college journey, not just by bringing in a year's worth of seminary credit, but if they choose to go Shana Bet to actually attend Turo College in the secular universe, which right. is a campus in Harnov. So we're here. I mean, we life happens. Hashem runs our world, and life happens. Our job is to be able to help our students complete what they've started in the best way possible. Suri Klugman is with us. It. Director of Admissions at Turo's Lander College for Women, the Open Houses is coming Sunday. And you are encouraging registration. You want people to register in advance if possible. We'll give everybody the website yes, again. Yes, we'd love that. Yeah. Yes, we'd love that. But there, we're also welcoming people to drop in. Right. There is one other point we have. And by the way, folks, Lander College for Men, you're going to have your open house. But the Women's is this coming Sunday on the West 60th campus beginning at one thirty in the afternoon. And finally, I, I think the biggest point, Suri, um, and I don't know if you agree with me because obviously there's so many other things that are important in the life of a college student, but thank God, especially with the way campuses work around this country right now, thank God Turo is a from in addition to being a professional environment. And those of you who are um, who already have gone through this experience at Turo, you know that even though it is a big operation, it is 50 years and now it's thousands of students, nonetheless you still do have that small town feeling and that camaraderie that comes along with it. And I need you to address that for everybody. So it's interesting. We have 19,000 students wow. in the Turo University system. Wow. But on our campus, everybody knows your name. And mm. it's true on every campus. Students know that they can come to the administration with their concerns, and it will be addressed. Students know we're a safe place where they can speak up with their ideas and their thoughts and there's nobody that's going to look at them and, and, and put them in an uncomfortable position. It's about learning. It's about growing. And most of all, it's about being a family. Mm. Um, we've, we've attended weddings. We've unfortunately had to attend funerals. Um, it is what it is. We're there for our students. Yeah. And we applaud their achievements. <sighs> I can tell you my conversation with Rabbi Krupka when I called him to tell him the big news about Chava Siegel, you, in fact, do take great pride in the accomplishment of your students. And that's pretty cool when you can call an administration member and get that type of reaction, frankly. Uh, you do. And I, I think it's amazing. We watch our students walk to graduation. Yeah. Our students let us know what jobs they've gotten. Our students keep us informed about life events. And that's because we start out as a family. And it stays that way. And I think it's, I mean, I'm a Lander graduate, so I have tremendous, tremendous akarasatov to the program. But I know that I can rely on them, not just as an administrator, but as a former student.
Amazing. Real classes, real courses, real degrees, real jobs, and in this case, a real in-person open house. Suri Klugman, the director of uh, Turo's Lander College for Women, the admissions director at Turo's Lander College for Women, and I and uh, anybody who wants to see the young people in our community um, go through an effective course of education, um, and I hope that the parents out there listening also will consider this as an option, uh, check out the Lander College for Women Open House is coming Sunday, West 60th Street, 1.30 p.m. in Manhattan. Uh, here's the website. It's a drop long, but it's worth checking out. It's lcw.turo.edu slash open house. Again, lcw.turo.edu slash open house. And it is on our community calendar at nahomsegal.com. So if you need the web address, you literally could look it up there as well. Suri, anything else you'd like to add about Sunday? Um, I'm just really looking forward to meeting everybody who comes. I think it's an experience people should not miss. I think it's going to give real information. It's something that will help our students who are potentially joining us to grow and to understand what college is truly about. And please, I'm looking forward to meeting everybody. Pleasure having you on the air. Continued success uh, helping our young people in our community uh, getting through a quality uh, educational uh, system. It's much appreciated. And good luck on Sunday to you and everybody at Lander. Thank you very much, Nachum, and have a wonderful day. Suri Klugman, Director of Admissions, Turo's Lander College for Women, 1.30 p.m. Manhattan, this Sunday, web address, lcw.turo.edu slash open house. No matter what course of study you're going to go through, or you, no matter what course of study you're considering, especially if you're considering some of the online you know, the ones that I would say, you know, big question mark type places. If you're a parent or a student, at least be open to this idea. Go Sunday, uh, and I'll tell the men the same thing about their open house. Go and see what a real college program can do and one that's in a firm environment to how good and quality it is for somebody in our community. Check it out. Check it out. Nothing more important uh, down the road, and um, the work that's put in now is going to uh, certainly... The fruits of that labor will be seen down the road. You don't see it immediately, but down the road you'll see why uh, a place like Turo is so important for our community, for young people to get the skills and young people to get uh, the networking and the community that they need in order to succeed. That was my conversation with Suri Klugman. David Matlow is with us to discuss Zionism and the World Fairs. Pretty cool conversation. David Matlow, here's that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, our good friend David Matlow is with us live via telephone. David, of course, owns the world's largest private collection of Theodore Herzl memorabilia. I am staring, literally staring right now at a gift that David gave me. When I was up in uh, Toronto, Canada, to see his incredible collection, and I got to go back there. Once this whole COVID thing ends, we got to go back and reacquaint ourselves with David's collection. Anyway, the World Expo 2020 was delayed by the pandemic till 2021. It opened in Dubai last Friday. Israel was invited to participate and has a pavilion there. Israel and Zionism has been represented at world's fairs. For, what would you say, folks, 73 years? A little more, a little less? Believe it or not, for 125 years, way before the state, David has researched this fascinating story and through items in his collection of materials found in archives, he's prepared a program which is running tomorrow 
Wednesday, October the 6th at 1 p.m. It's being done by the American Zionist Movement. Go to azm.org for information. The program is called Pavilions of Promise. Go to azm.org for information. David Matlow, what a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's great to be back. And you're welcome here in Toronto anytime, as soon as the border opens. Oh, you know how much we enjoyed our visit to your to your house museum, <laughs> and we can't wait to get back there. Uh, I'm literally, you know what I'm staring at? I'm staring at the image of Herzl, that, that blue that blue piece you gave me of him uh, staring at the Rhine. In fact, I need the Rhine. That's the one thing I need here, David. I need. Some, <laughs> <laughs> if I had the Rhine, it would be so much more of an authentic uh, uh, view that I have. But he's he's literally in front of me, or the image of Herzl is in front of me, and I thank you for that. It's an image, frankly, as we've discussed, that people should always have in front of them, uh, not taking Zionism, the state of Israel, or what we ha- what we've been blessed with, uh, for granted, simple as that. A lot of people don't even know what the World's Fair is. What's the World's Fair, and why would Israel slash Zionism be represented at a World's Fair way before the state was even founded? Well, it's a great question. World's Fairs have been happening since 1851. They, uh, the first one was in London, England, the, the Crystal Palace, and there have been World's Fairs held since then. In the early days, they were ways, industrial ex- exhibitions, ways for people to see what was happening in the world, new technology, learning about different countries, before television, before the Internet, um, various companies and countries came to a certain place, and the world was invited. The countries would be able to show off, the host country showed off or celebrated um, a milestone in their uh, country's history. And these were very, very prominent uh, world events that started in 1851 and have been running, obviously, till now, because there's a World's Fair that just started on Friday uh, in Dubai. Yeah, for those familiar with... For those familiar with the Consumer Electronics Show, <laughs> that's where they display. Uh, that's where they display and introduce to the world, you know, what's happening next in technology. The World's Fair, as you just described, was basically, you know, what's happening next in so many areas of life. And of course, again, with the internet, as you point out, and and the world being as small as it is now, it may not be as necessary. But there's still an excitement when the World's Fair kicks off, right? It is. For for instance, this one in Dubai, it, it's massive. It's the first one in the Arab world. And even before the Abraham Accords, Israel was invited. Of course, the Abraham Accords, the peace, peace sure. treaty between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And so it's really quite fascinating. There, there are 170 countries in the world. and I, I don't know, there may be 100 countries represented in Dubai, and Israel is there. It's fantastic. And that got me thinking, how long has Israel been represented at World's Fairs? And you're, uh, there was an, and there was an expo in, in, uh, in Canada in 1967, and I went there as a six-year-old. Most Canadians went to celebrate our 100th birthday, and there was an Israel pavilion there. But there were Israel and Palestine, Jewish Palestine and Palestine pavilions dating back to 1896. Yeah, I think that that's how the Montreal Expos got their name, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly correct. And on top of that, I believe that the World's Fair that my older siblings went to was actually in Queens, New York, at the World's Fair site that many people are familiar with. So this is not an unfamiliar concept to uh, to those of us in this area of the world. Now, is the Herzl Collection, is this a natural extension that you went ahead and started researching Zionism at the World's Fair? And how was it represented? Was it called Palestine before 1948? Was it called Zionism? How did it manifest itself before the state was around? 
Well, the connection to my Herzl collection arose from that 1964 World's Fair that you just mentioned. Wow. There was an Israel pavilion on, on the at that fair, and on the wall, the outer wall, there was Herzl's quote, if you will, it, it is no dream, Intertsu Enzo Agada. I bought that postcard, and that started me down a journey to explore Herzl and Zionism at other World's Fairs. That very same site of the 64 fair had a World's Fair in 1939. And it's at the 1939 fair that there was a Jewish-Palestine pavilion. And this was a joint venture between American Jewry Zionists and the Yishuv, Jews in Palestine, through a company called Mishar Vitasya, Trade and Commerce. And the idea was to essentially bring Palestine to Flushing. And uh, everything in that pavilion came from Eretz Israel. It was the second most popular pavilion at the fair, and it opened right uh, 10 days after the British passed the white paper, yep. restricting immigration to Pal- Jewish immigration to Palestine. And so this pavilion became a rallying point for the Jews of of New York and for America and around the world. I mean, think about what was going on in 1939 on this planet. It, it's unbelievable this was happening in, in New York, as you know, as as you just as, as you just mentioned uh, between the uh, the White Paper in uh, in England and uh, obviously what was going on in Europe. It's unbelievable this was happening in New York. And the Second World War, September 1st, 1939, yeah. broke out in the middle of the fair. And so a visit to the Palestine, Jewish Palestine Pavilion, according to my reading, was a symbol of unity and also a protest against Nazism and obviously a plea for the rescue of European Jewry. All that wrapped up in the Jewish Palestine Pavilion at the World's Fair. Right here in New York. In New York. David Matlau is with us, world's largest Herzl collection. Tomorrow... He runs a program called Pavilions of Promise, sponsored by the American Zionist Movement. It's 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Go to azm.org slash pavilions dash of dash promise. azm.org slash pavilions dash of dash promise. Uh, 1 p.m. tomorrow, full presentation about all of this regarding Zionism at the World's Fairs. Now you have, uh, you, you, you created a list for me. Uh, of different trivial facts that are interesting. Um, <laughs> you indicate that there was actually a Yom Kippur service held in a mosque at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago? That's correct. Chicago had a World's Fair in 1893. It was called the Columbian Exposition to celebrate the 400th anniversary of the Christopher Columbus's discovery of America, I guess, plus one year. It took an extra year to build it. And in the fairs in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there were things called foreign villages. You couldn't see a movie about what it was like to live in Sudan or in Algeria. So um, they brought brought people from other uh, civilizations, exotic people, who actually lived on the fairgrounds and the fair grower could go and walk around this foreign village, some people called them human zoos, and see how people lived. And one of those villages was a Turkish village. At the time, Palestine was part of the Ottoman Empire, and the concessionaire who, or the two concessionaires who brought this to the World's Fair were Jewish, and so populated that this um, Turkish village 
primarily with Jewish people. There was a uh, form of, of a fake mosque on the property, and on Yom Kippur, the Jews who were living on the world's fairgrounds in the Turkish village had their own Yom Kippur <laughs> services in that mosque. I, Because I said to myself, I bet you there wasn't a mosque in Chicago, but I hear it was a makeshift mosque for the World's Fair, which makes sense That's then. correct. Uh, World's Fair in 1904. Why was that interesting from a Jewish Zionistic perspective? Well, in 1904, St. Louis had a World's Fair to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase. And there were two things that were really interesting from a Jewish perspective. One, there was a 10-acre model of Jerusalem. And that was built as an attraction. You'd pay 25 cents and you could walk the streets of Jerusalem or go on a camel ride through Jerusalem. Donkeys and camels and residents of Jerusalem were brought um, to populate this um, Jerusalem model. It was actually built by Christian investors, just to give an example of what it was like in the holy city of Jerusalem with the Wailing Wall beside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, beside the Tower of David, beside the, the mosque. But secondly, from a Zionist perspective, and this is really a symbol of what happened afterwards. Zionists in the local host communities saw that the World's Fair was an opportunity to bring the story of Zionism, the longing for a Jewish homeland, before a world audience. And so a gentleman named Michael Stiffelman, who was a St. Louis Zionist, prevailed upon a journalist who prevailed upon the organizing committee of the World's Fair to fly the Zionist flag among the flags of the nations of the world at the World's Fair. And there is a quite a, a striking picture of the Zionist flag, which later became the flag of the State of Israel, flying in 1904 beside the British flag and the American flag publicly. It's the first time that flag flew among the nations of the world. Um, previously, it would be at Zionist Congresses, parades, meetings, but not out in the public internationally. And this gave prominence and legitimacy to the Zionist dream. And that was a symbol, uh, it was the first of that kind of um, use of the World's Fair, which followed significantly and many times after that. Unbelievable. David Matlow is with us. Uh, and uh, did we cover 1933 Chicago? No, 1933 was another fair, 40 years later in Chicago. And in that fair, there was a decision by the local Zionist organization led by a gentleman named Meyer Weisgal, who was the same person who uh, ran the pavilion in New York in 1939. At the time, his decision was not have a, a pavilion, but let's have a pageant, a giant spectacle, which was held on July 3rd, 1933 at Soldier Field, where the, where the Chicago Bears still play. And it was a... a play with thousands of people on the field, performers, living out the history of, of the Jewish people from the time of Abraham through to the Chalutim, the pioneers um, in Eretz Israel at the time. 131,000 people were in the audience, including Chaim Weitzman, who was then a leading Zionist, later the first president of the state of Israel. And it was... Uh, the purpose was to unify the Jewish community of Chicago and raise money to help rescue the Jews of Germany. Because even in 1933, um, people knew they, they needed help. 
this show uh, was sold out. There was a second performance on July 5th, and then it moved to New York, and it was going to be performed in September of 1933 in the Polo Grounds, but it was rained out and moved to be performed for a month in uh, an armory in northern, uh, northern Manhattan. A million people um, came to see it during its one-month performance run in New York City. Um, again, using the World's Fair, using drama, spectacle to help advance the cause of Zionism. Uh, what did you tell us? What year was the first time that Zionism was represented at the World's Fair? What year was it? And it was actually in 1896. There was a World's Fair in Berlin, so literally 125 years ago. And since and in Berlin, yeah, go ahead. And, and since then, again in the 30s, World's Fairs in 31, 33, 37, and back to New York in 39 had Palestine Pavilion. Unbelievable. So even before the state, there was plenty of representation at the World's Fair of Zionism in Palestine. When you think about the era, the decade of the 1930s. Imagine just how significant that was, what kind of boost of confidence, what kind of boost of enthusiasm it gave to Zionists and Jews around the world uh, to be part of celebrations like that during such a downtime, um, both in Palestine and in Europe. It was a, it was a tough decade, to say the least. Uh, imagine the, the um, injection of Jewish and Zionist pride uh, that uh, people must have felt when attending those world fair, world's fairs. By the way, how badly do you want to be in Dubai this week, and why aren't you there knowing you? <laughs> well, uh, we are thinking about going for it. A world's fair runs for six months, so we're thinking uh. of going in, in February. Um, travel restrictions, quarantines, all of that makes it uh, difficult to make any long-term travel plans. Right, but, uh, but uh, my hope is to be able to get there before it's done. Look, uh, you know, you know what they say: if you if you want an Israeli haircut during COVID, there's hope to get that done as well. So you know, absolutely, uh, I'm waiting for that as well. But, <laughs> but yeah, as, as Herzl said, "Im tirtu, so I know, but the way you solved the problem about getting your haircut uh, with, with Israeli with with Israeli instruments, uh, uh, where's that story posted? Where can people read about that? So it, it, it's on YouTube. It's called Follicular Zionism During the Pandemic, or, and it's also available on my on my website, which is HerzlCollection.com. I usually, as, as Nakum knows and has alluded to, I usually have my haircut in Israel at um, my barber, Ishmulik. But what do you do during a pandemic when you can't travel to Israel for your haircut? And that is reflected in that video, which I hope your listeners will enjoy. Oh, I watched it. It's amazing. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's so funny. Uh, what can I tell you, David? You're, you're, a tr you're a true blue Zionist, or I should say a true blue and white uh, Zionist. Tomorrow is the program. And by the way, we should point out, we just scratched the surface in this conversation, right, David? There's plenty more tomorrow for people to enjoy. There, there is much more. It is really fascinating, and it's really an example of how Zionists use every tool in our arsenal to conceive, to advance, to gain support for, to nurture, to protect the Jewish homelands. And it's an inspiring story, even in the toughest of times that you described. Yeah. Use every tool, and it hopefully inspires us to continue to do the same. If you want to be part of it tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, everybody, it's 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. They require advanced registration. So go to azm.org, azm.org slash pavilions-of-promise, pavilions-of-promise, azm.org slash pavilions 
dash of dash promise 1 p.m. tomorrow and uh teachers and educators out there get get your students to start researching David Matlow's work both on Herzl the World's Fair and everything else encourage them when they do the history papers to do papers about things like this modern Zionism modern Jewish history uh they'll be they'll be studying things that uh, they will not be able to find anywhere else that I could tell you and uh you could check out David's website as he described and uh and if you see the website you will you will be treated to the uh to a a bare minimum a bare minimum of what he has in his incredible Herzl collection that we have been privileged uh, to see live and in person David good luck tomorrow thanks for joining us please keep us up to date on all these important uh, aspects and issues of modern Jewish history thank you so much and be well be well everybody more coming up you're listening to JM in the AM that was my conversation with David Matlow. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up. Keep it right here on NSN, the Malcolm Siegel Network.